Hi there, welcome along to the latest episode of the High Performance Podcast. I just want to start by saying congratulations, Tom Daly, who has been a guest on the podcast. You can find his episode, his brilliant episode in series one. Oh, Olympic champion. I watched that happen live with my wife. We were up early in the morning and what I loved, there was a few things that really stood out to me from Tom winning gold. The first one was his coach, Jane Figueredo, giving him advice, words of wisdom, tips, and basically coaching him before his penultimate dive. And I just love the fact that they're at the absolute pinnacle of the diving world. They're diving in the Olympic final. They've only got a couple of dives left, yet still she's finding the time to stitch the information into him, which was brilliant. And then the other thing that stood out for me was when we spoke about it on the podcast episode with Tom, the presence of mind when he's standing on the board in an Olympic final to deliver under the conditions like that, the incredible pressure. And massive congratulations as well to the Chinese pair. Obviously, they dived last. And can you imagine what that's like, knowing that it's a big chance to win gold and they did a brilliant dive as well. It wasn't quite enough, but to know the journey Tom's been on and we discussed the journey in great detail on his podcast episode and then to see him win gold um, I'm happy to sit here and tell you that my wife and I both had tears in our eyes Um, in fact we had tears streaming down our cheeks but there you go so Tom thank you for being on the podcast and huge congratulations to you I also want to say big thanks as well because the reaction to the interview that we put out in the previous episode with Mel Marshall Um, the swimming coach was incredible here's a really quick message from Mark and he says hi Jake and Damien along with my family I've listened to every episode of your podcast I keep thinking if I was to be stranded on a desert island who would I want to spend 30 days with and where could I go and listen to the wisdom of my guests and learn and implement that wisdom so when I return to civilization I would hope to be a better person today I listened to Mel Marshall wow What an amazing individual, full of wisdom, energy and positivity. I talk about the beach ball effect and Mel has the ability to holistically look at all options to get the best out of her conversations. Truly an amazing, inspirational leader. Thank you, thank you and again, thank you. Um, And when I was watching Jane coach Tom in between the dives and when I saw that Adam Petey had won gold and of course Mel Marshall coaches him, it just reminded me when we spoke with Mel about 10% of elite coaches are female that needs to change. So in the last episode of the High Performance Podcast, we spoke to the swimming coach, Mel Marshall. We've done the coach. I think it's time to do the athlete because in this episode, we have another incredible conversation, this time with Adam Peaty. Here's what you can expect. If someone swims extremely fast before the Olympics, that would create anxiety for everyone because it'd be like, oh, what, what's, what are they going to do in Olympics? What's going to happen there? But for me, it would be like, oh, doesn't mean anything. It's, it's what happens on the day. And I know on the day I'm the best performer in the world. I would rather sit on that chair knowing that I tried to, to, tried to do something than nothing at all. I think if you sit on that chair and trying to visualise yourself in the future and you knew that you could have done more, I think that you'll take that to the grave. I think Olympics is one of the why it's so powerful for me because it makes everyone back home proud to be British and also hopefully gives them a better day. Before we go any further and before we get into this episode with Adam, as you know by now, Lotus are not just the founding partners of the High Performance Podcast, but they gladly and willingly 
put their hands in their pockets to help fund this Olympic series, this, these Olympic specials. The conversations have been really interesting so far. We've got loads more still to come. And I just love the fact that Lotus are thinking outside the box at the moment and they're doing it across the board. I spoke in the last episode about how they're supporting a charity I'm a trustee of, which is the Community Sport Foundation. I was at Goodwood recently when they launched the Lotus Amira. And one of the brilliant things about that day, I said to them, you know, how are the, how are the orders looking? Are people ordering this beautiful new car? And on the first couple of days at the Goodwood Festival of Speed, they basically had pre-orders that kind of wiped out the whole of next year for them. So it's just brilliant news for Lotus, man. People want the new Amira. People want to support and be part of the Lotus story. And if you'd like to do the same, all you have to do is find at Lotus Cars across social media or head to lotuscars.com. But please always remember when you're listening to this conversation, without Lotus, it wouldn't be happening. So in a moment, we're going to hear from uh, from Adam Peaty. I just want to talk very briefly about another athlete, though, at the Olympics, uh, Jade Jones. Um, Jade came into this as the defending Olympic champion in the Taekwondo. And I just want to call out the fact that when she lost in the first round, which was a massive shock, she did an interview afterwards with the BBC where she talked about being scared. And I think it's really important that top athletes are happy to say, you know what, fear was the problem today. And she explained that she's always scared, but normally her family there to be alongside her, and they weren't. And I think it's important when people call it out. And it reminded me of a guy called Shane Parrish. Um, You can find him on Instagram. He's always full of wisdom. And I remember an update he put up a few years ago saying, only when we accept fear will we have freedom. And I think that's the point here is that, you know, Jade probably will admit that she allowed the fear to overtake her. She allowed herself to be scared at the very moment where she needed absolute freedom. And only when we accept fear will we have freedom. Um, Work on it yourself. Um, As I've said before, my wife suffers with anxiety and I often say to her, fear, false evidence appearing real. F-E-A-R, fear. Um, And Harriet will often think about something Um, that's ahead write a story in her head which is a negative story and then worry about that story coming true and the key is to rewrite the story fear false evidence appearing real anyway let's get on with it so oh adam Peaty, i love this conversation just to sort of paint a picture for you we did this one over zoom because adam had to stay in isolation because he was about to appear in competition and he was just there he was chilled out in his front room at home he had some builders walking around outside he had his Um, young child upstairs with his other half it was a really lovely relaxed and honest conversation obviously we recorded this before he flew out to the olympics and since he's gone out there he has become the first british swimmer to defend his olympic crown um i've seen lots of interviews with adam since he won his gold medal i've seen lots of comments but you know what what you're about to hear for the next hour i honestly believe is the power of the podcast because nowhere on any Olympic channel, no TV channel, no radio station. No one is able to get this deep with Adam because no one has an hour to sit and talk to him. And this is where these long-form, deep, involved conversations are going to change your mindset, are going to change your life, are going to give you something to equip you for the rest of your life. So here we go. A really interesting conversation with a man who's just confirmed himself as the greatest swimmer Britain has ever produced. And so much of it, so much of it is about mindset and a mindset that you can adopt. So here we go then. The latest episode of the High Performance Podcast is with double Olympic champion, Adam Peaty. 
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, listener. Is it me you're looking for? As brands, we're always wanting to make a connection, to find the person you can rely on, the one that's there every week, month, or year, and always has your back when you need them the most. It's a little like matchmaking, don't you think? With ACAST podcast ads, you can filter for your exact dream audience so you can find the ideal customer for your business. The Romeo to your Juliet, the Rachel to your Ross, the Bert to your Ernie, and avoid those red flags and time wasters. Your ads can communicate with them in the most intimate way possible. A one-on-one conversation, a chance meeting in the gym, or a coffee shop. So go on, give it a try. With over hundreds of thousands of listens a month, your person is probably here. Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com to get started. Joining us today is someone who I think we can argue has been Britain's most dominant sports person over the past six years. Male World Swimmer of the Year in 2015 and 2018. Male European Swimmer for the last six consecutive years from 2014 to 2019. He's an MBE. He's the greatest sprint breaststroker in history. He smashes records. He collects medals for fun. But most importantly of all, Last September, he became a dad. So how do you live a high-performance life as a global athlete and also juggle being a parent at the same time? It's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the High Performance Podcast, Adam Peaty. Adam, thanks very much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. We always start with the same question. In your mind, what is high performance? I think high performance for me is being in my kind of flow state letting the performance come to me instead of going out to get a performance, something that comes naturally. I think obviously you've got a a huge, huge opportunity for preparation and obviously the training, the nutrition, the psychology, all these thousands and thousands of variables which make a high performance athlete. But when it really comes down to the day, it's for me, it's almost like that moment was meant to be, like it was fate. And the flow state is just full confidence in what I'm doing. And full confidence knowing that you can't be beaten. So I think there's not not really a simple answer, unfortunately, but I think it is just being the athlete I was always meant to be. That's really interesting. And I love the fact you say treating it like it's it's almost like something quite normal. But of course, standing on a block in an Olympic Games, for example, with thousands of people cheering up against the best in the world is a million miles away from being something that's normal. So what tricks and tips and techniques do you run through personally to make it feel normal when you're standing on the blocks because that is the only moment that really matters for you isn't it I mean yeah I mean I when in 2014 I struggled with obviously the crowds the kind of I found the arena quite intimidating so I knew that the training was taking care of itself I could work hard on anyone else I could outwork most people uh, if not anyone and I loved it I loved the kind of the pain um, and the gain as you say but I knew my arena skills were down so I was like, okay, how do I improve my arena skills? And one tactic we used, especially into 2016 Olympics, was we basically, before, I'm, I'm a big stand-up, which is, you know, 100-meter breaststroke in training, 
So basically, like for like replication of what we're doing in the race, we put headphones in before we did it. And I was visualizing the race. I was visualizing what I was doing. But in the headphones, it was like I was in the cool room. So was a, there was almost like a white noise beforehand. And it would be like lane eight, my guy, lane one, other guy, lane two, other guy. lane, f- And then it comes down to lane four, Adam Peaty, Great Britain. And all this audio is real. It was taken from the 2015 World Championships. And that helped me massively because one of the biggest things was like, oh, what's the crowd going to be like? What's, what's going to happen into 2016 in Rio when the, I'm lane four and I'm Adam Peaty? How do I expect, what am I, what I'm going to feel trying to predict these things that are going to happen? And that was one thing which hugely has a huge impact on me because by the time I got there, I didn't have to worry about that. All I had to worry about was my, my technique and my, and, and the race. And really all of that was taking care of itself anyway because of muscle memory and you know as i said i was in my flow state i was enjoying it i was i wasn't worried about what what's the crowd going to do or you know how are they going to respond i was i was fully able to concentrate on what i was doing in the moment so could you describe then adam for us some of the techniques that you use to find that flow state i think a lot of athletes use music i think for me music has been a huge huge influence on my career you know i'd, I'd be lying if i said it had no impact because i really think that for me I'm a sole athlete. I need myself and I, I need my own headspace and I need, I can't manipulate it when I want it, but it just happens to align at the right moment. So I can't just listen to a song and go, right, that's it, I'm in my flow state, I'm going to take on the world. It has to be a purpose and it has to be 100% genuine and authentic. So I can't go out to a race and go, I need to do this for this or I need to do that for that or et cetera, et cetera, external motivations, extrinsic motivation, sorry. But for me, it has to come from within. So, you know, is it that I could take a defeat? Is that going to motivate me? Is that going to put me in my flow state? And that's what happened at European Championships on the 50 meter. I knew the guys were close to me. And on the semi-final, I knew that I had to be something extraordinary into the next 24 hours. And that the whole 24 hours, is in my, I was just in that state of my preparation was spot on. My food was spot on. Every single thought process around the 50 meters, which is only 26 seconds, 25 seconds, was spot on. So I arrived there and I was already in that flow state. But music can bring me up and bring me down. Like, as everyone knows, you know, that's why sad songs exist. People, you know, want to relax, I guess, and just feel that different type of energy. Also, you know, for me, heavy rock, for example, or, you know, heavy grime or heavy hip hop, especially going into the, the core room, it just gets me into that, that headspace that I need to be in. But I think flow state in swimming is especially it's more about the communication with the water and uh, understanding of where you're sending the water than fighting the water. My pressure or my, my technique might look very aggressive, but when it's the fastest, it's the most calm and composed. So it's a, it's a very complicated, <laughs> complicated thing. People just think I dive in, but you know, it takes years and years of visualization, years and years of practice to even get you know, half a second off your time. So it's it's a ridiculous job at the end of the day, isn't it? So. <laughs> hey, you do it all right, though. You're pretty good at it. So what about then things that take you out of your flow state? Because I think that's also really interesting for for people to hear you talk about. Because I think that we all make the mistake of looking at you with your amazing body and your brilliant technique and your stunning success. And we go, the geezer's bulletproof. But that can't be the case. Oh, no, no. Everything that goes up must come down. And that is true, I think. Good athletes can do it once. Great athletes can do it a multitude of times, but the best athletes in the world who are you know, very few and far between can do it for a very, very long time. You know, looking like Federer, you know, people like that who stay at the top of their game for so, so long. 
So I believe that for longevity in an athlete, you, again, you do need to come out of that flow state. It's, it's unhealthy to stay in that flow state because for me, my communication breaks down, uh, my trust in the team breaks down, everything breaks down. For example, in 2016, I was in that kind of flow state. I was ready to attack, as I call it, for that uh, Olympic gold in 2016 for about four weeks. I was on edge for four weeks, pretty much. But when I tried to you know, communicate with my mom and dad after that, I almost felt like they were almost aliens because that was a different person. So coming out of that flow state was, it's hard because you come home and everything's expected to be normal. When we know, obviously you've been to the Olympics, which isn't normal for a human brain to understand, I don't think. But you come home and everyone expects you to live this life that you know, you've been living. But that whole goal of why you've been living that life has gone. So what keeps my nutrition intact? What keeps all this other stuff intact? Why am I not going down a pub, et cetera, et cetera, in my social life? Everything revolves around the Olympic gold and the process to that and, you know, winning. If you take yourself out of that, it's very hard. It's very hard to be normal out of that flow state. You know, as, as soon as you come out of that, it, it takes a few days to adjust back into that. But I think coming back to the original question, if you can almost manipulate a way back into that, whether that's friends, family, music, uh, gaming, anything that relaxes you, I think you can almost manipulate yourself back into that. But it does take time. Of course it does. So can I ask you then, Adam, about that post-Olympic lull that I've heard a lot of athletes describe there's almost that that sense of purpose gets taken away from them and people can feel almost like flat or that life isn't as colourful as it was when you're preparing to go to a Games. How did you deal with that post-2016? I think I naturally had a come down because it's obviously the greatest event on earth, the greatest race on earth for myself. And it felt like everything was achieved. But I used that time to kind of keep my mind busy with other things like moving out of my, my home that I lived in you know, all my life. And obviously commercially, I had other things going on. Uh, so I try to redirect the focus as much as I can. But I wasn't as wise as I am now with my feelings. If I felt down back then, I'd be like, oh, just having a bad day. But now if I'm like having a bad day consecutively, I'm like, okay, this is what's up or this is out of placement or you know, that. I can, I, I can understand myself a little bit better. But I think honestly, like you try, you, I try not to overthink it. I think anyone's going to have a come down off, off that. In terms of your body as well, like the, the, the glycogen levels or the performance related stuff to that, if you know, massage and the, the simplest way I can put it is that you have a whole team around you for years and years and years to get this one performance. And then you go home and that team is still there, but it's not there at the same time. You, could, you can still call upon them, but everyone's gone. Everyone's gone home. It's all over. The cycle starts again. And that's a natural process of the Olympics. Every four years, there's a massive cull in the team. There's a massive new recruitment into the next athletes or the next superstars. So I think um, it's a really hard one to answer because it so, it's five years ago now. I can't really recall what that was like, but my nearest experience to it would be you know, 2019 after that, there's, there's almost a, a huge amount of relief um, yeah. that everything has paid off. Because at the end of the day, sometimes sport is a gamble. You might be the best athlete in the world and it might just pay off on that one day. Because unfortunately, the Olympics isn't who is best 365 for four years. It's who's best on the day, on that morning. And hopefully you've trained hard enough and you've pushed yourself hard enough that even on your worst day, you could still win. And on the flip side, we're talking to you now Late May, you're gearing up to go into an Olympic Games. How, like, do you know how many days it is until you're in the pool? Do you, are you counting them down? Are you kind of 
preparing yourself psychologically already or is that something that happens maybe when you get on the plane to Tokyo how does it work that's something that happens yeah about two weeks out you count down the days I hate counting down days because it's like it's almost creates anxiety because if you're counting yourself to something it's like oh I'm one day closer I'm one day closer I need to do this right or as the time gets narrower and narrower you're like oh I can't I can't make any mistakes it's too close so can't you count it down though in a positive of course yeah and this that's what I'm about to say is that I've started to live my life in the present now so instead of counting down the days I just as cliche as it sounds I make the days count so I don't go out there and go oh I've got 79 days or 64 days left to perform I've got one opportunity today to get the best out of today and that's the balance and I know I think it comes from a, a Buddhist way of thinking that you don't get lost in the past there's no point trying to think of the past there's no point trying to think of the future yes you can prepare as well as you can and do exactly what you do every single day but there's no more important moment and time as of right now and how you spend that and your how you spend your energy credits will determine how you feel tomorrow anyway so you know th- there is a different way of thinking around that and I think it I think living in the present is a way more positive way to live because you don't have an anxiety of what could potentially happen or potentially not happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that's quite a profound uh, realisation that it seems you've come to, Adam. And what advice then would you give to people listening to this that maybe do have anxiety or, uh, or having to deal with worries in their own lives then about how you came to that, that realisation and any tips you'd share with them? Well, I, I learned... Uh, through an ex-SAS soldier and he said that through his whole career in the SAS what helped him was that if they had a problem and they knew it was a problem but if they couldn't do anything about it stop worrying about it and if there's nothing you can do about it then why are we worrying anyway so accept it and you know push on I know it's very hard to it sounds a lot more simple than it is because sometimes I've got a problem in my head and I can't get around it but trying to put your brain into that mindset of that, you know, if you can't help it, then why do we worry about this kind of thing? You know? And I think it's being completely honest with yourself and trying not to hide those feelings that may create anxiety. So for me, for example, if someone swims extremely fast before the Olympics, that would create anxiety for everyone because it'd be like, oh, what what are they going to do Olympics? What's going to happen there? But for me, it would be like, oh, doesn't mean anything. It's, It's what happens on the day. And I know on the day I'm the best performer in the world and I've got you know six or seven years of you know championships and world records to prove that so it's not like I'm just going out there and and chatting you know that I haven't done any of this it's it's having that confidence but I think anxiety is everyone has it I think it's I I mean you'll know more about the psychology behind it but and why why it happens but in a simple terms as an athlete is if there's nothing I can do about it then you know, expel it because there's no place for that energy to take away from my own energy. It's almost like a demon on my shoulder. I think what's really interesting there, Adam, is that there's kind of two things that that leap out at me. We had a conversation with Johnny Wilkinson on on the High Performance Podcast, and he is absolutely aligned with your way of thinking to be totally in the flow, to be in the in the present, not in the not in the past or the future. Yet we're all walking around and whether we're envisaging something brilliant on the horizon or whether we're fearing something awful on the horizon, you know, I've got a friend who has a real anxiety about being ill. So whenever they hear someone else's illness story, they go, well, it's happened to them now. Now it's, now it's going to happen to me. These are always just stories that we're making up in our head. And I also love it when you talk about other athletes competing and performing and getting a great time. Well, 
Everyone lives now on Instagram comparing their lives to other people's lives. It's almost like someone else's happiness takes away from our happiness. Or someone else's quick time doesn't take away from your quick time. That has literally no impact on how you will perform, does it? Exactly. And I think if you can live with that, I think one of the most valuable things that I've learned in the past year is me and Mal always say that freedom is the best feeling and just being you, being free, not caring what's going on outside or social media. You know, social media is getting worse, man. It's like horrendous. Uh, anything you see, like, oh, why haven't I got that? Or why can't I do that? And it's like, oh, no, I, I can't do that because I'm, I'm doing this. I'm trying to be the best at what I do. But it in initially creates a feeling of jealousy. Uh, and I'm like, why do I feel and that? And have you, have you experienced of that? Course, Even yeah, with of all course. the things you've done, you, really? You see, literally see people on Instagram. I'm like, oh, you, you know, how have you done that? Uh, you know, why can't I have that? And that's initially, that's just jealousy. That's just the initial thought. And then you come, you know, you come to thought and like, hold on a minute. You never know what they might be going through or what they've gone through to get to that point. But also, m most importantly, it might not even be real. So unfortunately, social media has created that. And I, I feel for the next generation of people and athletes who come up through that system of their lives living around social media because it's so dangerous and I hardly go on any of it now. I just go on, upload, you know, see how my friends are doing, log off, probably 10 minutes. I have, I have a time of 15 minutes a day for all the social media because I, any more time than that, then my brain starts to go into this state of just fog, like literally a zombie. And obviously it creates those negative thoughts that don't need to exist because if you really took it away and actually thought about your life, I'm like, and you walked outside and breathed in, you'd be like, you know, we, we live such a good life and we live, or personally I do, like, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful. And I think if you have gratitude and humility at the same time, then you're free, I think. And I think that's the most important thing an athlete can have when they're behind the blocks in the Olympic final. If you're fully confident in yourself and who you are and not having to compare yourself to other people, yeah, you're, you're a weapon. So can I ask you about that topic of comparison then, Adam? Because... Reading your story, I'm always struck by that experience you had in 2012 when you saw one of your clubmates in the semi-final of the Olympic. And that was the, I've heard you describe it as the catalyst for you to ask, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, so he was he was on a team, um, a European junior team. He's Scottish, Craig Benson, basically his name. And um, he was really, really fast as a junior. I was like, how am I going to catch this kid? And I saw him in uh, 2012. I was like, you know, I want that so bad, like, literally like something was just burning inside of me uh, and it couldn't I couldn't put it to rest it's like this extremely positive slash negative high energy source of just hunger so I went back to the drawing board okay we need to do this we need to do this and it was it was only it took about two years to get anywhere with that uh, 2013 the year after I missed the team by 0 0.06 which is literally like a millimeter a few millimeters but again, that was good for me because I was too, I was too inexperienced. I was too young to make the team, a senior team then. Then 2014 came along and I just, I took on the world. I uh, won the Commonwealths, then I won uh, Europeans, four European golds back then. And then I got the world, my first world record. And then the first world record came after that a year later in 2015 in the 100 meters. But a catalyst is important because I think without that hunger and without that drive, I would be nowhere near where I am today. I used that anger and I used that and channeled it into what I do every single day. And I didn't let up. You know, if Mel said, you got 2100s and I got to 2100s and I'd be like, right, give me five more. Because I knew the rest of the world were only doing 10 100s. <laughs> and 
going 20 was double, but I knew also that no one was going to ask for more. So it's asking for more and knowing that pain is only really, it sounds very cliche. Instagram's ruined all these sayings, but you know, pain <laughs> is temporary um, and it will subside. And the more pain you can put yourself through and the more suffering you can put yourself, the more muscle you can tear and the, the further you can take your heart and your mind, the more prepared you will be when you need it. And for example, 2015, uh, at the World Championships, Cameron van der Berg went out like a, a shot, like so, so fast. But I thought I was in the lead because I was on the other side of the lane. I was like, oh, this is okay. I've gone out on a good time. I turned, I looked at his, and I just looked at his feet go. I was at his feet and I was like, oh God, I've got some work to put in here. But somehow I won that race because, I say somehow, it's because of all the work and all those times I chose to do more that have paid off in all those races. So I know, you know, in all these races that I go to, if someone is level with me, if it's head on head and it comes down to it, I know I've worked 10 times harder and I can have them. And that's the confidence that you can't get overnight. That's confidence that is built over 13 to you know 15 years. And do you always need something, Adam, that is lighting that fire inside you? So is there something at the moment that is your focus or is your, is your thing that you need to beat to stay where you are? I think... I think the fire, you know, it does change. I think when you're younger, you can take more risk and you can do a lot more. And that's just a natural, that's, you know, growing up um, and the, how your brain changes around risk management and consequence. So I think as I've got older, that my, my, I mean, my main motivation now is to obviously win the Olympics and be the first British woman to ever defend an Olympic title. But I also want to create history, uh, which is doing a world record in the Olympic final and then going on holiday after that. So <laughs> I think I know, you know, I've got two months left um, in the Olymp- for the Olympic run. And then, you know, I can take, you know, quite a bit of time out of the sport to reflect, you know, recover, uh, refill my soul, and refill the energy. So my motivation is really being the athlete and being in the moment and just enjoying it. I want to enjoy the Olympics. Um, I want to, uh, you know, take everything in and look back and go, that was my best shot. So it's very different from the motivation which I started out in 2014. I was like, right, I just want to be the fat. I want to be the best. I don't care what it costs. I don't care how I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it. It's very different. Now it's more calm and calculated. Where do I put my energy credits? Do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? Do I need to ask for more today? I don't know because uh, I've got a hard set tomorrow. So it's, it's really communicating. Communicating is one of our biggest skills now and one of the you know hardest skills to conquer because communication is yeah it's very very hard in sport because you don't want to appear sometimes if i ask for more or ask for less it's like you know what's mel gonna think is she gonna think i'm in the right headspace to go even more if i tell her i've got a a niggle in my shoulder is she gonna stop me from doing my set so it's it's stuff like this and how you utilize the team around you to get the best performance when you need it that is that is interesting because i would have assumed that you've worked with mel for what uh seven eight years or something oh like 10 or uh, no 13 12 or 13 years yeah. right so how is it not just but it's still not just complete honesty all the time you still sometimes have to think is that really the message i want to put across i think so um yeah. i think me and mel now are a very 50 50 divide in what we approach or she likes to make me think that anyway but i think um it's, it's still as an athlete there's still my own battles in my head and how i choose to fight them so, for example, if I, I do have, a, let's say, uh, a minor injury or I push too hard in the gym, I would probably wait a few days to see if that 
it was going to persist. But if I know in my head that it's, I can, it can be rectified very easily and no one's going to affect my training, I'll, I'll try and do it instantly. But if I know it could be something more for some reason, my head just goes, no, just keep quiet. And I have to override that voice in my head yeah. to be a, more, a mature athlete who would actually go out there and say, oh, there's something wrong with me. I need to put my hand up. Because I've always seen that as getting out or a weakness in my head. Whereas now I know it's it's longevity. Um, so it's, I've still got those constant battles of communication in my head. What not to say, what to say, when yeah. to say it, how do I say it, and how I come across. So it's a, it's a full-time job, isn't so, it? Yeah. So so basically, as, you, as your career progresses and you get more experience, I think what you're saying is that all of those sometimes completely disabling complexities and questions and fears that we have as young people and in your case a young athlete like when you get to your age and your experience and your success they're all still there like they haven't gone anywhere you've just learned how to cope with them I think that's an important lesson for people to understand because I think we assume they go and they don't yeah yeah and I think um, as a mature athlete now who's I've been going what seven years for championships I've been going what I've lost count how long I've been going and swimming. You learn so much. But I don't think it's necessarily what you've learned. It's what you're willing to learn. And the best athletes, I think, always are willing to learn and do something different. So what worked two years ago will not work potentially now. Or what worked five years ago will probably definitely not work now because I've got a child. I've got a, I've got a house. I've got a mortgage. I've got all these other things to think about. Um, so I think... we're just continually evolving and continually learning and I think if you get stuck in that cycle of doing what you've always done that's when you start progressing and you start regressing and no I think that obviously that comes back to the growth mindset doesn't it but then on that growth mindset then Adam that we've spoken to Mel your coach who spoke about her experience as an athlete in 2004 that she had when she went to the Athens Games and her big learning that she took away from the trauma of those games was about balance. And yet listening to you, there's a real intensity about your purpose and the way that you put yourself through this training. So how do you achieve that balance and learn from Mel's experiences? I think I, I know when to switch on and know when to switch off. I'm very good at being chilled, like too good at being chilled. Um, but I think um, that's just part and parcel of who I am. I've always found it very easy to turn off from what I do. And I think overthinking for a lot of people, overthinking a scenario for no reason costs them so much energy. So I think where I've been good is I've always been able to exit the pool, turn on some music and not even think about swimming and not even think about racing. And it's this exact same at the Olympics. I'll, I'll debrief at the pool after my first in my heats, debrief after the semis and enjoy the final. But other than that, it's all about obviously the preparation and the pro- process to you know how I get that performance. But... I can turn on, you know, I can turn on the Mac or I can turn on the, the iPad and watch, you know, in between us or something like that, you know, in between <laughs> the semi-final and the final and just completely take myself away from that. And as you said, I completely agree. I think it is all about balance, isn't it? I think if you're going to achieve something that no one can even get near or uh, something that, you know, is the best in the world in that moment, there's got to be something that is going to give you that complete chilled approach and composure. And that's what me and Mal always say. We know when the stroke is, you know, tired. We know when it's no, not where it's meant to be. But the hardest thing is knowing when it's not tense and tense. Uh, and it's like, for me, 
if I'm not chilled, and she knows that if I'm not chilled, my stroke becomes tense and that costs you two times as much energy to get down to the first 50 than it does, you know, normally. When I'm at my best, again, it comes back to the flow state and having that balance. And how has becoming a parent changed your mindset? Probably understanding how important the people are around me. It hasn't really changed much in terms of my performance mindset, but it's changed me as a person, which does directly affect who I am as a performer. It's really hard to say because I rely so much on Aerie, my partner, and my family and my friends to take that role. So I, oh, I said to Aerie that, you know, when we were when we were pregnant, that this running, this final run into the games now, I've got to be selfish. I've got to be. Because I know there's going to be people out there who have got no responsibilities and they're all they're just training every single day. Um but for me that is also a bonus because when I'm on the block. And we'd be like, you have no idea what it's took to get here. And you have no idea how much sacrifice I've made away from my family and away from all this. So there's so much more powerful thoughts that come into those final moments. And for Europeans, it's exactly the same that even though I wasn't in my final form and uh, Europeans had a bit of that, just, you know what, I'm going to hunt you down. That's it. <laughs> because I have sacrificed so much and my family has sacrificed so much. So... You know, Avery, for example, she's looks after George all the time, 24 around the clock. And uh, she's a great mum. And I said to her, as, as I said, you know, just that, you know, this, this final run into the games, it's just got to be about me. It's got to be my flow uh, and try and get that balance as well as I can between my family life and my performance life. But performance has to come first right now. And it's a very hard decision to make because, you know, sure. kids are, you know, they're yours, aren't they? It's, 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 it's crazy what you feel for them. Given the rich experiences, like the real rich tapestry of life that you've lived, Adam. I'm intrigued as to what kind of lessons are you going to pass on to George when he's a bit older to understand it? Like, what's the one lesson you've learned from your life in swimming that you'd say, you need to know this? Don't take up swimming. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think um, what I've learned in the last, probably the last year or so, I've learned so much in the last year because of COVID. It's just given me so much time to be floss, <laughs> just, just think about myself uh, in my own head. Has it been a useful period then? Very useful, shutdown? very useful to reflect. I used to think about negative things or things that people had done or this has annoyed me, I've seen this on the news or they've annoyed me. Then I'd, I'd look back at it and i go, why have I got annoyed at that? Anything they do or anything that's out of your control, you can't change it anyway. So why are you getting annoyed at it? And it's, it comes back to the news for me. I, I don't really have anything connected to my TV live because I refuse to look at anything that's negative now. <laughs> now I turn on the news, it's like, oh, you know, X amount of people over there have died or that's died or this person or that person. I'm like, it's continually ever evolving for me, just negative news. So, and that used to affect my mood because I'm like, oh, whatever I do here, it's not helping or I can't, I'm, I feel useless. Do you know what I mean? So without going down the rabbit hole, I think people get wound up in their, their own thoughts about other people a lot when they know they can't do anything about it. And we get angry at stuff we can't change and we get you know, frustrated at things which we can't solve. So I think one piece of advice for him would be just stay in your own lane, man. <laughs> Don't get caught up in the rat race. 
it's the perfect answer actually um even if you feel you went down a rabbit hole with it it makes perfect sense to us because we talk a lot on this podcast about 100% responsibility and that is taking responsibility so in your in your state taking responsibility for you as an athlete but also taking responsibility for your partner and your child and being a great athlete for Mel but also taking responsibility for how she deals with you because you're responsible for making sure she communicates in the right way when we become obsessed with other people and what's happening in their world and we start blaming them for how we're going to react it's almost like we we're giving up that responsibility we're not brave enough to take it on so let's talk about 100% responsibility is it something that you you understand does that make sense to you yeah 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 definitely i think being an athlete you you understand that more than most people because if i look at a performance good or bad it starts with me the fingers point inwards because i am the i'm the product i deliver the goods yes the team have an input but say I, if i had a bad swim i wouldn't go oh you didn't do my nutrition right i've lost so much weight or you didn't give me the right sets you didn't do that because that's my responsibility in the preparation to the games or in the preparation of that to make sure that is good and have the communication saying, oh, we're working as hard as we can to get the performance. So I think responsibility for me is also accountability, knowing when and if I have done no enough. And if I haven't, having the honesty and not nastiness, just complete honesty and saying, you need to work harder uh, or you need to do this. But I think responsibility, going back to the original question, I think, I like to be in control of what I can be in control of. Yes, definitely. Of course, I think a lot of people do. Uh, it's just a natural thought, but I also know when to let go now. Um, because again, I turn on social media, I turn on the news, I turn on anything. And there's so much hate and negative stuff in the world. And I, I read a quote actually, and it was, if you try and change the world, it seems impossible. If you try and change a country, again, ju just as much impossible. But if you try and change your corner of the, your world to so your family, your friends, that is possible. And how you act every single day. And that might be a catalyst for them to go out there and go, I want to change my corner of the world. And eventually you might understand that you could have changed the world in the first place. So I think responsibility, you know, is, is very important because especially now that my dad, how I'm perceived or, you know, how he looks at me and what I do and what I say and how I act is going to directly influence you know what he does because if you look at kids unfortunately and fortunately they uh, follow the parents Introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com website creation is hard but now with bluehost you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique wordpress website or store right away from there you can customize your design colors and content and Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, look, as you know in high performance, we love to highlight businesses doing things a better way. That's why we're proud to partner today with Mint Mobile. And when I found Mint Mobile... I had to share it with you. They've ditched retail stores and all the overhead costs and passed those savings onto you. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk and text plus data for $15 a month. And for me, those numbers are fantastic. I've been paying way more than that for my whole life. So if you hate your phone bill, Mint Mobile can offer you premium wireless 
for just 15 bucks a month. All the plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can choose from three, six or 12-month plans. Say goodbye to your monthly phone bills. So to get your wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash HPP. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash HPP. Additional taxes, fees and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Today's episode of High Performance is in partnership with MindLift and many of you may have heard already that in 2023 I decided to give MindLift a go. The neuroscience-based personalised brain trainer to improve your focus and your relaxation. So I popped on the headband, I downloaded the MindLift app and connected to my own personal neuro coach. And look, because of my job as a podcaster, I get to experience so many different things that people tell me are going to benefit my life. And in all honesty, once I started using MindLift, I just found that I felt sharper, my focus was better. And I think something else that you can't necessarily feel is that it offers an improvement for overall brain health. I also was really reassured by the fact that this is trusted by clinicians around the world. I know for a fact it's used by top athletes. I've spoken to some of them about how much they love it. And the fact that the whole experience is customised by your own neuro coach, I think just makes it really smart. So if you want to get involved and you're interested, now is the time with a $40 discount exclusively for you. And if you want to get $40 off your first subscription, just go to mindlift.com slash highperformance. That's M-Y-N-D-L-I-F-T dot com slash highperformance. Can I ask you then around something that I think you've got a really rich learnings to offer some of our listeners, Adam, that... There's people listening to this that will often write to Jake and myself and say they've got ambitions to maybe set up a business or to give up a job and pursue an ambition or a dream that they have, but they maybe don't have the circumstances or the opportunity to do that and they feel a little bit fearful of it. And I think the territory you're in at the moment of setting world records and being so exceptional, of going after something where you don't have a frame of reference or necessarily the evidence to do it, is a really fascinating mindset. So would you tell us about how you give yourself the confidence to go and pursue something without necessarily having the evidence to know whether you can achieve it? Because I'd rather live my life with the attempt of trying to do something than never do anything at all. So I always think of my life of sitting on the porch when I'm 70 years old with a beer in my hand on my rocker chair and going, you know, I've had a great life. I've took all the risk I needed to take, calculated risks, but I was always willing to try. I'd rather sit on that chair, no matter how much money you've got in the bank or how much influence or power, all those other things that you've got, I would rather sit on that chair knowing that I've tried to, to, tried to do something than nothing at all. I think if you sit on that chair and trying to visualise yourself in the future and you knew that you could have done more, I think that you'll take that to the grave and go, oh, what if? And it'll start to eat away inside of you. So if you can conquer that demon earlier on, especially younger entrepreneurs, I think obviously, you know, there's a lot of risk calculated things and, you know, you might not have the resources, as you say, with money, but I do believe there's always a way. Um, And that's trying not to come from a privileged view of, you know, being a white male with a little bit of money as an athlete now. It's trying to understand that, 
you know, people wouldn't have put a bet on me in 2012 to win the next Olympics. No way, no way. But I got there through grit, determination, and again, responsibility, accountability, communication, all these other variables which I've learned along the way to become Olympic champion four years later. So if you're saying to yourself that, oh, I've got, you know, four years or five years and I want to build a business, I'm like, every day is 24 hours. How many days are in that next four years or five years? You're going to have a lot of bad moments and a lot of down moments, but you're also going to have your share of little successes and little little things to check off. Oh, I've made my first thousand pounds. I've made my first 10,000 pounds. made my first hundred grand or first million. So, and, or, you know, I've influenced this employee. They're just going to go for it today or et cetera, et cetera. So I think if you can start to think like that, instead of thinking of the overwhelming byproduct or the overwhelming goal of having you know, this, this big business or it has to be this, and you start to break it down backwards, I think it becomes a lot more achievable. So again, 2016, Olympic gold, world record in the heats, world record in the final. If I looked at that in 2012 and go, oh, there's no way I can do that. That's, that's impossible. But I looked at it in small goals and checked every single goal off all the way up to that goal. So I'd say for these people who are you know, willing to or want to do it, if that thought's there and that drive is there, of course you've got to have drive. You can't just stop halfway. But if that thought is there, then what have you got to lose? I don't think you've got anything to lose. You've only got your own pride and your own future self being angry at yourself for not trying at least. But failure is almost a certainty along the way. How's your relationship with failure? Good. Yeah, I have a good relationship with failure. I think it's healthy. I think it's very healthy to fail. I don't think anyone who is successful um, hasn't failed, you know, because you understand and it resets the boundaries of risk as well. It's healthy to have failure because it goes, if you continually push and push and push and push and push, there's going to be a part where you make a big mistake. But failure along the way goes, oh, I've learned from that actually. I don't need to push on from that. So I think... Uh, 2018 in Commonwealths, I you know I lost my 50 meter race. I didn't do too good on the 100 meter. I know why. You know it was this and this. There's so many other variables, but that failure was probably one of the biggest and best things that could have helped helped me. You know, you know, break the world record again. And I've and I've done it again. And it just it created a catalyst for hunger because I hated being beaten. So failure is good. It keeps you humble. It keeps you uh, grounded, and it almost you know. It, you know, everyone needs it. Everyone definitely needs it. So what's been the best failure on a personal level that you've experienced then, Adam? My junior years, probably. I think in one of my junior years, I basically got to European Junior Championships held every single year. The best of Europe. And me, as a British guy, I was up against these massive, massive Eastern European guys. And then I was like, oh, you know, this is, this is going to be quite difficult. But I went in there with, you know, the British line on my chest. And I was just like, right... I'm just going to show the show the world what I've got. And I came away with nothing. I came away with like a seventh or eighth place. And in one of the races, I was like, I want to, you know, want to smash this because I've had such a bad week. And I'm really good at the 50. I'm really good at sprinting. So I'll take that confidence in, try and get into the, the semi. And there's only two Brits that can qualify per heat for the semi-final. And before, when I got down onto the blocks, you, you tense your glutes and you rock back. And my suit ripped down the middle. So pretty much down, yeah, down my bum. And um, I was like, right, this is exactly what I don't need right now. The story goes on and I, the team manager came down, you know, waving some kind of budgie smugglers, throwed him down, I got changed in my towel. Then I raced. I did a PB because I wasn't even thinking about that. I had so much adrenaline from this event. 
and I just you know went out there and, and raced. But after that race, I stopped, I cried because I was like, that was my one opportunity to show the world what I've got. And then ever since then, I've always thought of that moment and go, I'm never, ever letting that happen to me again. So in terms of performance, but also redundancy, making sure you have backups, making sure everything's, you know, you know you've got all your kit that you need and you've got spares because suits still, still rip today. And, you know, you still have to have spares and whatever. And for example, in Rio, we were we were stationed in Belo Horizonte, so it's about seven hours drive, but an hour flight from Rio where we were competing, and we had to put all our bags in the in the reception area. And I took mine down like a keen bean, took it down first, left it there. I was like, oh, I'll wake up to it in the village tomorrow. Got to the village, everyone had their bags, um, and I was like, oh, I thought someone was taking a prank, or you know, it was coming up later. I had all my equipment in for the Olympics, all my nutrition, all my suits, everything, um, all my party clothes were after. And I got in there and they were, they were missing. And I called the team manager and goes, oh, she'll check downstairs, whatever. And then she was like, oh, they've been stolen in Ballo. So I was like, okay, right, let's go. Let's crack on. Let's... Because I always thought that that was my, I did think at the time that was my last hurdle. And if I reacted to that instead of respond to that scenario, which was you know a horrendous scenario because I had no gear, that I didn't deserve to be an Olympic champion. So I responded very, very positively because there's nothing I can do about it. And that was a failure because I should have just checked and took them down a little bit later so they couldn't have gone missing. So, I mean, you learn, you live and learn. And fortunately for swimming, all you need is a pair of trunks and a hat and a goggle and you're away, aren't you? But it's just uh, it, that, that kind of failure, it does hit you hard, but it's how you respond and try not to react. That story, though, also leads into something else that's very important for people listening to this podcast, which is resilience, not getting knocked off your course by something that in that instance was out of your control. Who helped you and where did your resilience come from? I think my resilience was taught to me from, you know, my parents and, you know, obviously the trials and tribulations of a young teenager. And now I came from, I come from a, a working class family, so very normal just very, you know, didn't have much money, didn't really, you know, have much when we were younger, even though we had, you know, quite a bit, we had more than the average family, I guess, in terms of, you know, family feel. But I think, you know, coming up through that and being the youngest child, you've got to be resilient, <laughs> especially when you've got two older brothers and a sister. I think that naturally creates competitiveness because you're trying to prove yourself to, you know, your older siblings. But the resilience is that if I saw my dad work as hard as he did and that as in my blood, having that fight in you to do one more, always asking yourself, can I go one more, doing one more and having that pride. For me, I took an immense pride that, you know, I am who I am and I'm British. And that's why I'd always grow four foot at the Olympic Games because I know I've got those rings and I know I've got that GB flag on me. And I think that resilience has just been tried and tried and tried over the years for me. And every single time I've always chosen to get up. And I think if you can rely on that and have that rhythm in life when you do get knocked down and always get back up there's there's no option for anything else even now when i'm 26 years old and i'm against 18 year olds i'll always outwork them and they're meant to be a little bit more fresher a little bit more hungry because that resilience in me was like i'm not letting this happen i didn't i wouldn't let it happen you know eight years ago i'm not gonna let it happen now so how do you avoid like some of the trappings of success that are inevitably going to come your way, whether that's the money, whether it's the fame, the prestige, the uh, the fancy cars, how do you keep that hunger 
when you're surrounded by luxury or status symbols of your success? I think for me is surrounding yourself with people who keep you, you. It's very simple. It's a very simple saying, but, you know, I've got my team around me that I see every day. I've got my best friends who I see, you know, every other day or every week. I've got my family you know, back home and here. And they're all people who, you know, keep me, me, which is I'm quite, it sounds not very humble to say it, but I'm quite a humble person. I'm, I don't really, you know, flash. I don't really, you know, do anything out of the extraordinary. So I'm obsessed with the performance now. And yes, you know, you have great commercial deals. You make, you know, quite a bit of money if you're successful at the Olympics and stuff like that. But it's, it's money is money, isn't it? Like, you know, if you took it away, would you still do what you do right now? And if the answer is yes, I think then it doesn't change anything. I think you can get trapped in the cycle of wanting to earn more and wanting to be more and, you know, wanting to be famous and et cetera. But that's just not me. For some reason, I think if you can treat it almost like a game, in a sense for me, it's, it's, it's all a game. I just want to swim as fast as I can. You know, hopefully look after my family as much as I can and you know, do what I do and have the rewards to be able to do what I want after swimming. I think that's all I, all I want, really. I'm not really too fussed about anything else. I'm not, I don't want fame. I don't seek fame. I don't go out there asking for it. So that's just who I am. I can't really speak for anyone, any other athlete who may want that. But I think that's also why I've been so successful in swimming because that's who I am. I don't really look at a gold medal in terms of money. I look at a gold medal in terms of pride and inspiration for this generation and next generation of athletes. I think Olympics is one of the, why it's so powerful for me because it makes everyone back home proud to be British and also hopefully gives them a better day and go, I want to push harder today because that's what sport is. It's, it's entertainment, but it's also inspiration for people back home who are watching it or in the stadium watching it, witness those moments to go, hold on a minute, that, that, was, that should be impossible, but it's possible now. So you're looking at the normal person or not even normal person, but you're looking at a business owner and go, oh, that should have been impossible. But no, I believe now I can do it. So that's why sport is one of the most powerful things ever because it teaches people to push further and have that risk. And sticking with the, the theme of inspiration, then look, I want you to take this question in the way it's intended. I'm not, I'm not looking for some headline here about Adam Peaty doesn't care about winning the Olympics, right? But has it almost become about more than just medals then for you? Because I, I know, you know, your girlfriend is from Nigerian descent and you've spoken, I've seen many times about the importance of equality in sport. I know that after the Olympics, you want to make your way around the country, inspiring the next generation of young athletes. Of course, the inspiration comes from winning the medals, but is it actually about more than that? I think the medal itself in terms of the material doesn't mean much to me at no. all. I think it means, yes, the Olympic one's different because they're so rare, but only because I know how much of an impact that can have on other people. But the materials never, never really interested me at all. Like the medal itself, that I think that now, I think George is playing with them and in, in putting them in his mouth and stuff like that. But I think it's more about the race for me, the scrap the moment or the, the actual event that takes place, the part of history that no one can take away. No one. That's what it's about for me. And pushing the boundaries of the human body, I think, and pushing what people thought was impossible. And I think if I can do that and continue to do that, then my job is done. And, you know, I, I'm not too fussed, but I think on a more powerful level, it's that kid who stays up to watch me. That's why I do it. 
So for for example, Tokyo, the Olympics will be in the morning finals. So I think here it might be like midnight or early morning or late night, whatever it's going to be. But there's going to be kids who stay up purposely to watch me swim. And that is the most powerful thing. You can't get anything more powerful than, you know, a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 14-year-old who just wants to be the next great superstar. Because that's exactly me who I was in 2012. Mm. And that's, you know, it, it, it just clicks in my head that that's what it's for, not for a, a shiny gold medal, which at the end of the day is just a, a lob of metal, you know. And the importance of equality? Oh, hugely important. And swimming is predominantly white. It's a white sport. So if we can access those communities and, for example, you know, George or Avery, you know, getting you know, young kids involved from a young age, I think it's not necessarily about being the best swimmer or involving people in sport, but it's also about being safe in the water and how many people can, you know, swim in the country. Um, so I think equality, you know, sex, race, you know, sexuality is always important for me because you know what? It's just about being a decent person <laughs> and, you know, understanding that, which I think a lot of people struggle with. And it comes down to the question, like, why do you even care, man? Why do you even care? And I have a friend and he's flying a flag for gay pride in swimming and he gets a lot of hate. I'm like, I'm like, why? People on Twitter, because it's like tweeting him, like, oh, why are you doing that? Or, you know, sending him you know, nasty messages. I'm like, your life must be really pathetic if you take your time and effort and energy to message someone that you don't even know and probably will never see in your life. And that's what I'm talking about, where I'm like, how people can even do that when it's really just about being a decent person and understanding that everyone has a battle, not only with themselves, but, you know, other things as well. So I think understanding that and, uh, you know, trying to understand it the best you can as well. Now, I love the purity of that as an answer, Adam. And I want to sort of, bring us on to the topic of something a little bit dirtier around that, around doping in your sport, because I love the idea that, you, that you're looking to inspire these young kids, the next generation. So how do you mentally cope with the fact that there are some athletes or that maybe are looking for the rewards in a less than ethical way? I ask myself quite a lot, you know, when I see people cheat, whether it's mechanical or, you know, physical doping, or technical doping. There's obviously so many types of doping, but it all, you know, falls under cheat. And so I always ask myself, like, why would someone cheat? But then again, I'm coming from a very privileged background that I've been given a gift, I've been given a talent, I've been given a family and a roof over my head and there's always food on the table. So if you can take yourself away from that and go, okay, I'm a different person. I've got, I haven't got much money. I haven't got a roof over my head and I'm from a country which, you know, have a systematic doping regime or someone comes along and gives you money to perform but you have to take this for example you can understand why would why people would do that because if you can earn 10 grand at a meet 10 grand in some parts of the world can change your life uh, unfortunately we live in britain <laughs> so there's not much uh, you can do with that i guess but um i think it, it's really obviously money and power isn't it it's the instinct of the human to push further and further and further and gain more and just keep your grass green. So I think doping is, it's not as just simple as someone wants to be faster. I think sometimes there is a lot of backstory to it and why people do it. And unfortunately, there is people who do it just to get faster. And, you know, there's no excuse for any of them. But I think to really conquer doping, you need to look at 
where it's coming from, why people are doing it, instead of just pointing the finger and go, oh, you're, you're a cheat, you're a cheat, you're a treat, because that doesn't really solve it. It doesn't solve it. You know, it just it's just a reason why people do it. So I think if I ever came up against a doper who I knew was a doper, I, you know, there's pe- people who walk on poolside. I don't, I don't, don't shake your hand, don't smile, don't do anything because I know that they're a cheat. This is the thing with doping. Once you can just have a bad supplement, you can have something that isn't batch tested or you haven't been as rigorous as you should in your preparation and you've took, and there's a trace amount of something, you can just get very unlucky. But if you've done it twice or three times, I'm sorry, why are you in the sport? So I think the governing bodies need more of a, a backbone and a bit more purity, as you said, like, and a bit more honesty and go, why are they still in the sport? And which leads me on to another one, that sport is political. It's political. It's, you know, it's a very political thing now. Uh, if you look at the Olympics, you can't say the Olympics without politics, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Listen, Adam, we can't sit and have a conversation about your career and, and the amazing journey. And thank you so much for being so brilliant and sharing so much with us without talking about Mel, your coach. We've spoken with her on the podcast about what she brings to the table in her mind. I would love people to hear you talk about what you believe a good coach gives to somebody because there there are millions of coaches, not swimming coaches or even sports coaches that listen to this. And I, I know they'd love to hear from you about what you believe makes a coach that gets the best out of the person who they're working with. I think uh, a great coach is it's, it's a relationship that you have with your athlete or your client or your, your customer. I think a great coach is charismatic. Um, I think charisma is so, so important. Adaptability, like if are they adaptable? How are they under pressure? Um, again, like there's hundreds and hundreds of things, but I think one of the most important ones is honesty and communication with that honesty and just be willing to try something different. I think a coach who has been doing the same style for 10 years or 20 years because it's old school and it works, not is ne- won't necessarily get my, you know, respect because that just works. A great coach for me is someone who continually learns, continually tries new things, and can have fun with it. You know, we always talk about performance so seriously because we talk about medals, we talk about money, we talk about Olympics and how much that can have on the thingy, and what does that equal for the millions of people and the funding back home. There's so many things which are tied to it, yet. We need to keep the fun in there. And that's what Mel does brilliantly. Because uh, if we lose the fun and we lose the field to the youth of the sport and we lose the, the real reason to why we do it, there's, you know, there's, no, there's, not, there's nothing to it. We've lost the sport. Um, and that's why you see some of the greatest athletes in the world probably fall off because they've lost why that kid picked up the racket. They've lost why that kid picked up the goggles. So never, ever lose that person inside of you and never, ever lose that person and go, right, I just want to be better than yesterday. That is it. Simple. Keep it simple. And the greatest coaches always understand that they'll keep it simple. And that's what Mel does brilliantly. Very good. Right. We have reached the uh, the end of our interview where we run our quickfire questions. And the first one is three non-negotiables that the people around you have to buy into. Okay. I guess, yeah, fun, trust. Honesty. What advice would you give to a teenage Adam just starting out? Get a better haircut. <laughs> what is your greatest strength and what is your greatest weakness? My greatest strength is anger and my greatest weakness is anger. One book recommendation. Any Stephen Hawking book because it makes you think differently about the universe. 
And um, finally, your one golden rule to living a high performance life. I think I've already said it. Keep it simple. Very good. Um, man, thank you so much for coming on this and, and sharing so much with us, Adam, especially when you're in this period just before the Olympics. You know what um, What really stands out to me is that I think that we look at people like you and we go, oh yeah, I'm sure he's a dad and a son and a friend and a brother and whatever else. Um, but then he's also an athlete. And I think the way you've spoken on this podcast is a really good reminder for everyone, particularly ahead of this Olympic summer, that you can't be the athlete without all the other things around you impacting that. You know, you're sort of one person really and you have to be, it's a good reminder for everyone in all their lives. You have to be totally aligned in all the different areas of your life to really hit high performance. Well, I've got it tattooed here. Equilibrium under the Olympic rings. You need balance. Without balance, that's it. Damien. Jake. I'm not sure I've ever had a conversation like that with someone who's still competing at the highest level. It was just so rare to have somebody that, like you say, is out there at the hard edge of competition, but then prepared to just come and open up and be so open and vulnerable and authentic. Mm. And it's a great reminder, isn't it, that there is a real depth and a real complexity to the people that we see on the big stage, you know, winning Olympic medals and you know, lifting trophies across the world in sport and also people that are successful in business. And I think these conversations are a good reminder that we don't have it hard and they don't have it easy. Yeah, that's a great way of describing it. I like the fact that I think there's three stages to expertise. I think the first stage that you get through is where you think it's really simple and then you enter the complex stage. And then when you appreciate the complexity, you can describe it in really simple terms. And I think that Adam very much demonstrated that he is at the expert end of it, that he, you know, he describes it as just swimming two lengths of a pool. But actually what he then opened up and shared with us about the complexity of diet and psychology and competition and social media and noise. I think what he gave us there was so many tips that we can all take away and apply to our own lives. And I think that he's almost just on the start of this journey of sort of spirituality and enlightenment when it comes to the bigger picture. Yeah, I very much sense that as well. I think he's a guy that has almost been like a comet, hasn't he? The way that when he's launched his career, he's, he, it's looked like it's just been an uninterrupted path to glory. But I think there's obviously um, an awful lot of openness and humility and lessons that he's been prepared to learn and delve and explore into, especially that one that he spoke about very much like Johnny Wilkinson, live, live every day as it comes rather than constantly be, keep waiting for... Uh, a date in the future and you know um the people listen to this pod and they're like oh yeah i listen to it because i'm really into my sport or i really want to achieve a great thing at business or i'm a teacher and i want my you know my pupils to, to do really well i think it's a really really salient and timely reminder that you can't have that thing that you dream of without making sure that everything else is lined up behind it like he's managed to sort out i think yeah, definitely. I think the moment that you go and perform, that's almost a moment where you just let go of all that preparation and you just trust in the moment that you're in that everything that you've done beforehand has set you up to deliver the best you can in the moment that you're in. And I think that's a really important factor that don't get blinded by the outcomes. Look at the incomes, the work that's gone into it. I loved him. Thanks a lot, Damien. Thanks, Jake. Loved it as always. Well, how about that? I mean, what a guy, what a mindset. 
a real pleasure to speak to Adam and it's so great to then see both him and Mel doing exactly what that process and that mindset and that self-belief and that sacrifice and that commitment and that consistency and that all-in attitude has given them as he defended his Olympic ground just a few days ago out in the uh, Tokyo Olympics. Um, I also want to say a big thanks to you as well because I asked you after the last episode to send me your thoughts on Kate Richardson Walsh's episode um, as part of our Olympic mini-series um, and I got some amazing responses and reactions and I actually passed most of them on to Kate as well. What I'd really like from today, because I want to share this on my Instagram, I'd really love you to either DM me or to put on your Instagram, even better actually, because then other people will see it, the one biggest lesson you've learned from the High Performance Podcast. If you've got the time, I would love that. I think it helps to spread the message. It gets other people involved and watching what we're doing. Um, and I think it's really important to share. You know, I just think sharing your thoughts and your reaction to these things is really vital for other people because as much as it can be useful, sometimes it can be confusing. And with yeah, there are people sitting there thinking, what's the big learning from this episode? For you to share your thoughts would really help them. So if you've got the time and the inclination, I'd love it if you could just either ping me a message or pop on your Instagram the single biggest learning that you've taken from the episodes of the High Performance Podcast that you've listened to. I know it's hard to narrow it down to one, um, but see what you see what you think um, and see what you come up with. I can't wait to hear from you. As always, huge thanks to Damien for being brilliant in these interviews. I'm sure you will agree with that. And just a quick reminder that Damien and myself uh, have a book out. And if you click the link in the description to this podcast, then you will be able to get a signed copy of our book as soon as it is launched on the 9th of December. It's called High Performance Lessons from the Best on becoming your best and it is packed not just with the things we've learned in the podcast but how we've interpreted them other research personal stories and anecdotes we're really proud of this book um i think you're going to love it and if you want to just click the link in the description to this podcast to pre-order your copy right now as always big thanks to our guest adam Peaty. thanks to damien thanks to hannah and will and finn ryan from rethink audio for their hard work on this episode but most of all thank you to you thanks for the tens of thousands of downloads this week thanks for talking about the podcast thanks for sharing your thoughts with the podcast thanks for basically making it what it is we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you and if it wasn't for lotus cars so thanks to them. Thanks to you. Have a brilliant day. And thanks for tuning in to this high performance podcast, Olympic special in association with Lotus. Hello, listener. Is it me you're looking for? As brands, we're always wanting to make a connection, to find the person you can rely on, the one that's there every week, month, or year, and always has your back when you need them the most. It's a little like matchmaking, don't you think? With ACAST podcast ads, you can filter for your exact dream audience so you can find the ideal customer for your business. The Romeo to your Juliet, the Rachel to your Ross, the Bert to your Ernie, and avoid those red flags and time wasters. Your ads can communicate with them in the most intimate way possible. A one-on-one -on -one conversation, a chance meeting in the gym, or a coffee shop. So go on, give it a try. With over hundreds of thousands of listens a month, your person is probably here. Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com to get started.